everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, it is my pleasure and honor to welcome my guest, Phil Jung. Hey, Phil, how are you? Hey, Blair. It's awesome to be on the podcast with you. I think it's 124 episodes or so that, yeah. that you've uh, recorded, which is incredible. So I'm honored to be maybe the 125th, depending on where you are in the editing cycle. But yes, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, man, it is my the honor is all mine. And I really appreciate it. We had to like rearrange um, our scheduling. I got sick and stuff. So I thank you for your graciousness in making the time for me tonight. Um, so Phil, I'm not gonna like, I feel like I can go on and on about just um, how thankful I am. But I'd like to know what is it that you do? Yeah, so as part of my day job today, uh, I'm a venture capitalist. So I steward capital on the behalf of our limited partners or investors they can trust us with their capital and what i do with that is on a day-to-day basis i invested in early stage tech startups uh you may some of you may have heard of the show shark tank which is uh a glimpse of that it's a tv version of that but still the tenants are true of what it looks like to make early stage investments in tech companies with the aspiration that one day they become big unicorn type of companies. Think today's uh, Facebooks or Amazon or Netflix. Those all started off as tiny startups a long time ago. But venture capitalists are the funders who helped um, conceive that concept in terms of providing the capital to get the ideas off the ground. So that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. I invest in companies and um, with with big aspirations of becoming category-defining companies one day so that we provide a good return for our investors and hopefully do some good in terms of bringing forth technology with a redemptive lens to the world as well. Oh, okay. So I'm not going to pretend I know anything about investment in venture capitalism, but um, this is really, I'm really excited to learn more. Um, I, my first question is like, where do, like, do people come and look for you or do you guys look for these startups? Yeah. It's a little bit of both. Um you know, thousands of companies are started every year. And a lot of these companies um, may not be revenue generating from day one. Mm-hmm. For instance, in contrast to, let's say if you open up a restaurant, the hope is you have customers that help pay the bills. And so you have revenue from day one, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these technology concepts won't be generating revenue in the early days. You need to hire an engineering team to build some sort of technology product or software platform it may even be years before you see a single dollar of revenue. So for a lot of these startup ideas, you need capital investment. Um, and if you're not, if, if you as a founder or a CEO don't have you know, a lot of wealth, for instance, that you can pour into your company, you'll need to raise that from outside sources. So that's where often people come knocking on investors' doors, venture capitalists in particular, to help fund their idea, their startup idea to bring into life. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, VCs, Part of what we do is we proactively um, source deals as well. So we'll go out and try and find people that are working on interesting concepts that may have not um, actively sought out capital yet. Mm. Um, So VCs will do a combination of both, of incoming deal flow and also going outbound to try and find perhaps um, somebody who's working on a uh, innovative technology at a university lab. Right. They have not yet started the commercialization process, but an investor might say, hey, there's something really compelling here that I think we can um, create a company around. So they may proactively seek um, opportunities like that as well. So what makes a company worth investing into? Yeah, it's a great question. And 
if that's the million dollar question, if, right? <laughs> if that was down to an exact science, then uh, you really wouldn't re- need VCs because mm. everything would just be kind of a checklist that you could go through. But there's um, definitely more art than than science to that. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into building um, a great tech business. And I, I should mention too that there's only a small portion of companies that are started that end up being invested in by VCs or venture capitalists. Sorry, can you say it uh, one more time? Yeah, there's only a small portion of companies that end up getting funding from venture capitalists. Oh, why is that? Uh, just by nature of there being a limited pool of VCs and capital out there, right? And um, so most companies are actually started by generating revenue and customers um, as opposed to uh, burning cash in the first couple of years. Mm. Um, so just, and, and especially over the last 10 years or so, when there were news out, outlets like TechCrunch or, or, um, or Fortune or others that were highlighting kind of the rise of entrepreneurs and all these headlines of, oh, this company raised tens of millions of dollars. Entrepreneurship has almost become sexy in terms of a career opportunity pursuit. Um, so with a lot of that, there has been a lot of interest in startups, especially tech startups and venture capital. But just because your company does not raise outside funding from VCs does not mean that you're not building a worthwhile endeavor or business, Mm. right? Um, I I think some of the statistics that I read, it's something like less than 5% of all uh, new businesses raise outside venture capitalists dollars, Mm. right? So what what does that mean for the rest of the 95%? Does it mean those are bad business ideas? No, absolutely not. It just means that those businesses perhaps don't fit the venture capital model, um, and and the venture capital model is, you know, we're trying to find the next Facebooks, right, so, or the Amazon. So companies over a certain uh, defined period of time can go from zero, so just an idea phase, to becoming mm-hmm. massively impactful, uh, big financial outcome type of companies. Um, and most companies, again, won't fit that profile, and that is perfectly fine um, because, you know, Along with taking capital from VCs comes a lot of other implications as well, which we can talk about further, but it's just a different path to how to build and grow a business. That's not meant for everybody. Okay, that's true. Okay, so what are these implications then? Sure, sure. So when you raise outside capital from a VC, you're oftentimes giving up a percentage of control of your company. Okay, yes. If you started a business, you're the you're the... Uh, sole owner of that. You own 100% of the business. Mm -hmm. But if you raise capital from a VC, you may sell anywhere from 20 to 40% of your business. Now you have another shareholder in your business. So when you invite another business partner, you're often giving up some form of of controls as well, whether it's um, your board of directors, how that is governed. Mm. Um, Sometimes you may need uh, voting agreements from your partners so that you can't unilaterally make decisions. Um, Sometimes you may uh, unknowingly or knowingly uh, build controls in where you may become ousted as a CEO because the rest of the board or your investors may not like how you're running the business. Uh, Most notably, you know, people are investing capital into your business not just because they like you or your idea, but because they expect a return. Right. That's often within a 10-year window. Uh, Oh, what happens if you're growing your business, but it's growing just modestly instead of kind of at these big, you know, 
you know, 3x year-over-year types of uh, growth trajectories? Well, investors or your board may say, you know what, Miss CEO, you're not running the business to our expectations. We're going to bring in somebody else to run the business. Wow. So all of a sudden, you may lose that position uh, and control of your company, which may often have been your life's work or your baby because of the um, kind of the expectations of venture capital, it, which is to pro- provide a return to their investors mm-hmm. and usually at you know, in a 10 year window. So, so again, that's why not every business is, is meant for raising right. outside capital, despite what a lot of the headlines in today's news might say uh, is, uh, is success. Okay. That, I mean, yeah, that makes, there's a lot of risk, I guess. And I guess my, my thought was, oh, like, wouldn't the, just the venture capitalists just pull out if they, but then I guess the better thing to do would just find a new CEO. Yeah. Because you lose less money, they, right? Yeah. Because they still might believe in that idea mm-hmm. and they may say, to use an example, oh, Blair, you're the CEO. What you're, the concept that you started is brilliant, but you're just not the right person to take mm-hmm. this to the next level. So we still believe in the idea. Let's bring in a, a professional CEO who has three decades of experience in this industry because they still like the idea and they see the potential there. Right. Um, so they may say, Here's your 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 severance package, and we're bringing somebody else because we still want this company in three years to achieve that billion dollar, you know, valuation status. Uh, so okay. yeah, it, it, it's it's not for everybody. Okay, but then the person that like had the original concept, right, comes to a venture capitalist because they believe in what they have, right? That's right. Okay. They say I, I have this incredible idea, and I know that it's going to take capital to bring this idea to life. Right. It's more than the, perhaps, you know, the $10,000 of savings that I have. I know I'm going to need a million dollars capital to hire four engineers to build this really innovative technology product. So I know I can't do that on my own. That's why I'm coming to you uh, as a venture capitalist to help fund this idea. And I know I'm going to have to give up 25% of my company, but for me, it's worth it because the goal is, in five years, my company will be worth a lot more. So, you know, even though I own less of it, mm-hmm. that pie will be bigger. So that's worth the journey for me. So that that's a lot of the calculus that uh, entrepreneurs make as they think about raising capital. I see. So in this, like, say you like sign a contract and you do it, right? You invest, like, mm-hmm. like even say the example you just gave, right? Like the hiring the engineers and things like that. Like, um, I'm assuming with something like that, there's like just a time frame, right? Of when you want to see results until the mm-hmm. money, they stop giving money or what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay. Usually what that looks like is um, they, they refer to it as runway. You know, how much runway okay. are VCs funding you? Mm. So usually when an entrepreneur raises a round of capital, it's to provide runway for about two years. You know, startups are iterative processes. So, you know, in two years, that's enough. A, a VC might say, that's enough time for you to recruit um, a team of four engineers um, and for you to build uh, initial MVP or, or minimum, vi- minimum viable product to put out into the world. Mm. And it might not be perfect. However, it's probably good enough to try and get customer feedback to validate whether the idea that you have is worth pursuing even further and pouring more capital behind. Um, so usually, you know, within a couple years or so, VCs and the board might look for indications that what you're building is on the right track. 
Okay. If you've spent millions and millions of dollars recruiting a great team and building a product, but turns out that the market doesn't want to pay for it, there might not be an actual need for the technology that you're building. Mm. And so investors or other shareholders might say, you know what, at this point, you know, we're not going to fund this initiative anymore. Um, and they'll divert their attention and the resources to other startup ideas. So that, that's, that's kind of how the uh, life cycle works. Oh, man. Money can be kind of scary. <laughs> it is. It is. And, it's, and, and, you know, the implication of that is for entrepreneurs, it is a tough, tough road. Right. Especially in the early days when often you don't have a full team built out yet. You know, this is, this is your life. Most often the product of your life's work. Mm. And you have this perspective on a future state of the world. Right. And you want to bring that to life. And so it is it is very, very difficult. The highs are very, very high, but the lows are very, very low in times in the entrepreneur's journey. And, you know, that's where I think the opportunity too for certain types of VCs mm -hmm. who empathize with that and can be more than just a blank check writer, right? So for folks to, to really partner with an entrepreneur through those ups and downs and honor them, even if a concept may, may not be working and certainly when things are working too, um, I think that's an opportunity that presents itself for certain VCs to, to be different than what kind of the current industry standard is, which is pretty ruthless at times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As, as those of you who have seen something like Shark Tank uh, can know that industry to be. Right, right. I mean, I'm going to assume you're one of those kind of VCs. And <laughs> um, okay, like my other big question, because I know nothing, uh, where does this capital come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you may have heard of, um, uh, or, or the listeners, you know, you may have heard of a term called angel investors. Uh -huh. So angel investors are individuals who are, you know, individually wealthy, perhaps they're a successful executive, or they've sold a prior company before. So they're investing their personal capital. Hey, Blair, I really like your podcast idea. I would love to invest, you know, $10,000 of my own money, Phil's own money into your business, because I believe in what you're doing. Okay. And uh, yeah, I hope it goes well. And, and maybe down the line, you know, it becomes a big business and I get a check back someday. That is very different from a venture capitalist okay. because a venture capitalist, they don't invest their own money. They're investing other people's money. Oh. They are in, in some sense, uh, venture capitalists are professional fund managers, right? Okay. So people might say, hey, you know what? I really, I really like the idea of investing in startups but I don't know how to evaluate them. I don't know how to find them. You know, I'll just uh, steward my capital with a venture capital fund because that, that, that'll be their day job. And they know how to get into the best networks to find these up and coming entrepreneurs. Um, so they outsource that work to a venture capitalist. I see. So that's, that's a big distinction. So VCs don't manage their own money. They manage largely pools of capital for other people. Now, what, what, do, what do those other people look like? It might be wealthy individuals. It might be um, a university's endowment. Oh. It might be even churches. You know, churches sometimes sit on a lot of cash. So Baptist foundations, for example, are, are well known to, to sit on large pools of capital. And they want to you know, make sure that's not just sitting in a checking account somewhere, mm. but that, that asset is growing. So it comes from a variety of places, largely from these big institutions, insurance companies, big companies, um, endowments, pension funds. 
we actually at, at my firm, which I'm happy to talk about, um, you know, later on this podcast, we actually manage pools of capital for surprisingly enough, a pension fund for pastors and ministers in Australia, uh, just mm-hmm. through a personal connection one of our, our team members had. Um, so we take our job very, very seriously. These are ministers and pastors and teachers too, who are putting their faith and hope in the retirement funds uh, in a certain a pool of capital that we manage. So we don't want to lose that capital for them. We want to generate returns for them and make sure that they're taken care of. So, so that's where most VCs capital comes from. Interesting. Yeah. This is so fascinating. I, <laughs> so like, it's almost like you're a, so if I like, um, just from what I'm familiar with, like just mm-hmm. even like personal financial investors, right? Like that finance and invest in like other people's personal money. It's like, you just do that on a very large scale yeah. with tech startups and like startup okay that's That's crazy okay is venture capitalists like kind of a new thing like not new but you know what i mean like a recent yeah it's not it's not new but it's not old either so i'd say probably in the last 40 50 years this industry has 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 become a lot more popular um but it's yeah it's in the grand scheme of you know the financial markets and the financial systems it is a very new, newer and smaller piece of that bigger uh, financial system. That's wow. That's sure. mm-hmm. Okay, so Phil, what does a typical day for you look like then? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, uh, I'll, I'll I'll take a I'll pull up my calendar from today. So sure. Monday, um, as just a representative, a sample of what my day today is like. And Mondays are important days for uh, venture capitalists because. On most Mondays, that's when, and, I, and I'll just use, you know, I'll, I'll just refer to VCs, okay. VCs for venture capitalists, just select short shorthand. Um, most VCs and VC firms, Monday mornings, they call it often their partner meeting, where they set the agenda and the, and the uh, expectations for the whole week. That's often a three to four hour meeting on a Monday morning, Oof. where the whole team will come together and um, we'll talk about highlights on a couple things. First, they'll talk about the interesting companies and entrepreneurs that they've met last week that they want to put on the radar of everyone's team. Say, hey, I really met with this really interesting founder who's working on this. Um, It was interesting enough for us to dig deeper and do diligence. And I wanted to kind of mention this now so that everybody can start thinking about questions or if they have connections in the space that we might uh, want to talk to as we get uh, smarter about the industry, et cetera. Um, second, they'll give an update on those companies that are currently in due diligence. Um, and then there'll be more kind of strategic initiatives discussed too, but that, that usually happens on Mondays mm-hmm. and that takes up three to four hours. So aside, aside from that, uh, that partner call, uh, I had a, an hour meeting with one of our portfolio companies. Portfolio companies refers to a company that we've already invested in. Okay. So they're in our portfolio. So VCs might work on a variety of items with their portfolio companies. It might be a board meeting. It might be uh, providing feedback on a new product or a go-to-market strategy. Mm-hmm. It might, we might be helping to interview um, uh, the next hire that the startup is looking to make. Maybe perhaps one of those engineers or their next operations lead and they want their investor to help in their process of vetting um, individuals that might be a great fit for their next hire. 
So there's various ways that we touch base with our portfolio companies, but that usually takes up an hour or two uh, of, of, of time. Um, I blocked off an hour of my time uh, midday to really dig in due diligence on a company that I had met a couple weeks prior and I was really digging into uh, due diligence now. So I was digging into their financial statements. Mm. I was digging into their org chart. I was digging into their operating model or their financial model to understand what are the key drivers of growth that's going to propel uh, 2023 to be a big year for them. So really understanding the business. So, you know, you have to have a kind of deep, dedicated uh, time to, to dig into that. Um, I had an after, a call in the afternoon with a fellow uh, venture capitalist from another firm, but part of how VCs stay up to date with the market is uh, by trading notes. And on that call, I said, I shared, hey, these are two or three com- interesting startups that I met with. Is there anything interesting you've uh, seen? We kind of exchanged notes on what we're seeing in the market and sharing opportunities as well. One of your earlier questions, Blair, was, how do you find these entrepreneurs? Do they come knocking on your door or do you have to proactively seek them out? It's yes to all the above. And we're often sharing notes and, and opportunities with other VC partners uh, as well. Sorry, and, and is that, is this within your company or your no, firm? No, this is outside. Yeah, another firm. And yeah, is that okay? Firm. Like, is it like competing or? <laughs> but yeah, that's a great point because sometimes it can be competing and sometimes it can be friendly. So okay. you need to understand the the profile of the other firm. A lot of, some firms only want to do deals themselves. They don't want any other partners in, right? So those firms tend to not have these types of collaborative calls. Um, other venture firms, perhaps they're a smaller fund, you know, they rely on other larger funds to help put, you know, they're called syndicates, so uh, syndicate deals together. Okay. Um, you know, if I'm leading a deal, I might want two other outside VCs along with me just to help share the risk. Um, and share in their networks and their contacts and their expertise as well. So it just depends, yeah, on the type of uh, VC firm that you're you know, talking with. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I spent uh, an afternoon um, connecting another entrepreneur with another VC that I knew actually, mm. because I thought their business was interesting, but the industry that they were in was not my expertise, but I knew another VC who has really strong expertise in that field. So I spent time connecting them. Um, and then I, I had the last part of my day drafting uh, a letter to our investors about our first quarter. Mm. So Q1 of 2023. Um, because VCs are stewarding resources on behalf of others, you know, it's our job, it's our fiduciary to keep them updated on how things are going, what's happening in the, in the market, the what's happening with our portfolio companies and things like that. So that requires a time to just sit down and put pen to paper and, and be thoughtful about the updates that we're providing on a quarterly basis. So yeah, it, it's it, every day looks slightly different, but it's some sort of combination of uh, meeting with entrepreneurs and doing digging deeper in due diligence, um, addressing the needs of our investors as VCs, uh, discussing with other VCs outside of our firm on mm-hmm. things that are happening uh, in the markets and, um, and everything in between. So. Yeah, but that's a general flavor of what that might look like. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, I was thinking, oh, like, that sounds like a lot of meetings, a lot of talking, a yeah. lot of networking. Um, I'm, on top of that, knowing financial things, I would assume. And, um, but I was going to ask you, so I'm kind of jumping ahead in, in my usual order of what I ask. Mm-hmm. But um, since it's relevant to what we're talking about, um, 
Like, what do you think makes a good VC? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> every every firm will probably have a slightly different answer. Okay. Because, um, you know, every every venture firm has their own personality or their own thesis of what they believe makes a great investor, and they'll recruit people that 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 kind of fit that profile. So I'll give an example. You know, there are some firms that say you need somebody that's, you know, a real wizard about the financial statements. So somebody that has spent their life just analyzing financial documents and statements and that you, you give them a financial statement, an income uh, statement or a balance sheet, and they can just analyze it line by line and have a really critical analysis on what makes companies compelling mm -hmm. and what um, kind of signals growth versus just an okay company, right? So, so somebody might wait you know, index a profile of a team member. Perhaps they spent many, many years in investment banking or other kind of a financial analysis types of roles. And they might value that and saying, you know what, we need somebody that understands how to, how to uh, interpret financially what a good company looks like. You might have other firms that say, you know what, that's important to some extent, but we actually feel like it's more important to, to be able to, to be relatable with entrepreneurs. Uh, because at the end of the day, for entrepreneurs who are growing really compelling businesses, they may be in the position where they, they have the benefit of picking who they want to partner with. Mm. So they might have 10 VCs saying, hey, let me invest, let me invest. And they, they might only pick two. In that case, you, you, you need somebody who's able to build rapport um, and, and be value add in ways that just, you know, interpreting a financial statement is not good enough, Right. Other, other uh, VC firms might have um, other focus areas too. Perhaps they're focused on uh, minority or diverse founders. So they, they're going to hire people that look like the types of companies that they're going to invest in. Perhaps it's woman-led mm -hmm. founders or uh, you know, minority kind of founders. So in, in those cases, either of those cases, somebody who's you know, a middle-aged Caucasian male probably will not get hired at one of those mm. firms, right? So, so it, it just depends. Each venture capital firm has a slightly different take on how their firm likes to operate, and then they'll skew towards what they're looking for. But it, it is a combination of financial acumen. It is a combination of being able to build rapport with entrepreneurs so yeah. that you can, you know, quote-unquote, win deals, mm -hmm. uh, competitive deals. It is a combination of well, once you invest, you're going to need to really be able to help those companies get to the next level. So what's your experience look like that demonstrates that you can be a good partner? So it's a combination of those things that every firm will have a slightly different um, weighting of each of those factors. I see. So like, oh, uh, say you're listening to this episode and you're like, oh, maybe this is something I might want to do. Yeah. Um, but then like, Okay, I don't know. How, I don't know how to ask it other than like, is there something that's like you do a lot of? So yeah. it's like if you hate doing this, don't yeah. be a VC. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's a, it's it's a good question, and especially, you know, let's say you're you're a little bit earlier in your career, so uh -huh. call it in your twenties or thirties, and you're, uh, you know, what what are, what are things that uh, VC firms might look for, or the day to day that mm -hmm. that, uh you should like knowing that uh, you're, if you want to pursue this role. Well, um, there is kind of this genuine curiosity that you need to have about different ideas and concepts. Okay. Right. Um, you know, most venture firms will review thousands and thousands of business plans or pitch decks every year. 
So it's your job as an investor to help kind of evaluate from those thousands and thousands, you know, the few that you may end up investing in. Mm. So you need to have this natural curiosity of, of not, not the current state of affairs, but the future state of affairs, right? Um, you know, before Amazon, for instance, nobody would have thought, not only can I buy books online, but groceries and, you know, whatever else you may, may need in two hours. Like that, that, that world didn't exist before. Right. So you need to have this curiosity of seeing an entrepreneur's vision and seeing if that there's actually some credibility to bringing that vision to life. So th- that sounds really cool, but what that often looks like, it's, it's lots of, um, yeah, it's, it's tough, right? Because you're, I would you're be terrible at this. I would be yeah. so bad. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard because you don't really know until years down the road. And a lot of the job, unfortunately for all VCs is saying no a lot. Right, you're rejecting entrepreneurs often, um, and and for most VC firms, because you're saying no so often, you know, probably 98% of the time you're saying no, 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 not a fit, not a fit. Um, that that's that can become very uh, discouraging, right? You're just you're crushing people's dreams in some sense. Um, so if you're if you're not intellectually curious or or uh, optimistic about what the future might look like, and if you're not if you don't enjoy you know, saying no to people um, often, you know, this probably isn't a, a good fit for you. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you are intellectually curious, if you do enjoy learning about new innovative technology and meeting with brilliant founders that do have a certain vision of the world that most people just would never comprehend, and you enjoy rolling up your sleeves and trying to be helpful in their endeavors, then this, this field is also incredibly exciting and life-giving in that sense too. Mm. Um, so yeah, pros and cons of yeah. that. And, you know, things like reading a financial statement, you can, you can take a class or, or even on YouTube, you can, you can learn all that, you know, today in today's digital age, but it's really about, you know, the people skills of, you know, building empathy with founders and, and wanting to be uh, selected as a partner for entrepreneurs. They want you to partner with them as they grow their business. Those are some of the more softer skills that, um, you know, you can't necessarily just read out of a textbook right. um, that you'll need to, I mean, you can certainly hone your skills there, but that's certainly elements of the job that uh, that you should enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for transparency on that. I just, you know, I, I, my, one of my goals in the podcast too, is to just kind of, um, kind of eliminate this fear of the unknown and what you're getting yourself into. So thank you for answering that. So honestly, um, I've gotten so like, um, fascinated by everything you've been talking about. I really do though want to know in when you were younger in high school, going into college, were you like, I'm going to be a VC yeah. or like, what, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's it, what was that like for you? Can you take me all the way back? Sure. Um, far from it. Um, I had no <laughs> idea, no idea what I wanted to do. Um, my my parents immigrated from Korea, so I grew up in an immigrant uh, household in California, in the Bay Area. Um, I was a very fortunate. My my mom was a musician, so she played uh, piano at church at our immigrant church uh, in San Jose, and so I was always around music. She wanted me to pursue music, um, so growing up, that was kind of my main extracurricular activity. I played the cello. Um, I was okay at it. So I, I was in orchestras and uh, did, you know, cello summer camps and, you know, uh, recitals and competitions. And 
Uh, and so for, for college, you know, my main extracurricular supplemental, you know, activity was kind of my musical endeavors. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was, I was, I was okay at it, but, but it, it didn't, it wasn't really life-giving for me. So unfortunately I didn't con- continue that <laughs> post-college, but, you know, it did help me, I think, you know, put together a compelling admissions package, I think, <laughs> or application package. Um, so I was very fortunate. I, I, I went to UC Berkeley. Um, I studied economics. And for those who are familiar, economics is what you study when you're not quite sure what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe something business, it may be useful down the line. Um, so that's what I did. And um, I graduated. Uh, and, you know, going through my undergrad years, I, you know, it, for me, it was more of a process of elimination. I knew what I did not want to do. That ultimately led to, you know, perhaps the business world. I, I was just horrible at the sciences. I hated memorizing. I knew, you know, that kind of stuff wasn't, wasn't uh, enjoyable for me. Um, I did not like, you know, seeing blood. I know that. So the medical profession was out, you know, coding and the engineer, there are lots of engineers at Berkeley, you know, that kind of type. I just, I, I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't really great at the liberal arts. I didn't like this kind of free flowing philosophical, you know, creation <laughs> Uh, you know, that wasn't for me, you know, it was very practical in that sense. So perhaps business or econ, it was, right. it was more a process of elimination. Um, when I graduated from school, I ended up at a consulting firm in the Bay Area where I was working with um, Fortune 500 software clients in the technology industry. Wow. So that was how I got introduced to tech. Mm. Um, you know, big software companies like IBM or EMC or VMware. Uh, where, where I really saw firsthand the, uh, you know, how a simple, somewhat simple software application uh, can have kind of global reach. And so, mm. but more important than that, working at a consulting firm, I think was a, you know, a, a blessed place for me to start my career because you're working, you know, for those, and I'm sure you've had prior consultants on the call, you're working closely with teams. You're working with a team of four, depending on the firm, they might call it a pod or engagement team. And it's usually, you know, some junior folks with some senior folks that are paired together, You're traveling all the time on the road, oftentimes to not glamorous places. But being around folks, you know, I accelerated my learning very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what a pitch deck looks like. This is what a financial Excel model looks like. This is how you navigate it. This is how you present to a client. This is how you take harsh feedback and update a business plan, you know, pulling an all-nighter. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were types of things and skills that I learned kind of in my consulting um, world where I started my career. Um, around that time is is when a, a close friend of mine from high school, he ended up, you know, making his way to the NBA, believe it or not. In high school, we had grown up together doing a lot of community service. We were co-presidents of our school's Christian club. So when all of a sudden he came into this overnight, uh, almost overnight fame, uh, we were just brainstorming and we said, hey, with this platform, maybe we try and be a good steward of that. And so we started a nonprofit together, just tinkering with ideas of how we might serve our communities, not knowing what a 501c3 was, mm. what, you know, how to structure a, a nonprofit. But uh, we just tried to, to be proactive with that. Um, we ended up doing a lot of community organizing work, supporting organizations, um, and to this day, that continues to be kind of my nights and weekends types of uh, um, uh, side project and, and, and side uh, endeavor. But today we have a you know full-time staff that help lead that on a day-to-day That's basis. Amazing. 
So, like, Phil's not going to say it, but I'm just going to name drop. It's Jeremy Lin, everybody. <laughs> it's the Jeremy Lin Foundation, um, which, I mean, I know I'm kind of being, like, a fangirl right now and do, by doing that. But I really, um, I know about the foundation itself and the kind of work you guys do. So, it's amazing that, you know, two friends got together and were able to use yeah, his overnight success, like you said, and just really channel it towards something that looks like the Jeremy Lin Foundation. And so, um, yeah, I, it's it's really a cool story. And also um, to hear just like where it kind of started, right? Because, you know, you look at something and you're like, I mean, yeah, of course he's going to start a foundation. But to hear you be like, look, we really had no clue what we were doing is no really neat. Yeah, we had no clue. Um, we just thought, hey, let's let's try and do something positive with yeah. this, this platform. It's amazing. Uh, and we made a ton of mistakes along the way. We made some very bad hires, brought in some uh, not so great advisors. Um, but along the way, uh, we've learned a lot, and um, you know, today we have you know real professionals helping us. It's um, amazing. But. Um, yeah, it's been it's been great to see that. But that was a big driving influence for me, <clears throat> seeing the type of impact you can have on a community mm. and those underserved. Um, and around that time is when I met my my now wife who worked in education. Uh, she initially was with a program called Teach for America, where she was serving under underserved students, uh, youth students in East San Jose. And coming from my kind of tech consulting job, as we you know met for dinner and talked about our days. I quickly realized, you know, how different our days were. You yeah. know, for me, I would often be stressed about a, a software implementation launch that maybe was delayed. And, you know, we were feeling that on the consulting team. And for her, she would uh, tell me stories of some of the youth that she was working with in underserved communities, mm. whether it be her time training kind of in Compton in, in, in Southern California, or even in, in the Bay Area, in, in the, some of the more underserved parts of students who were being bullied at school for wearing the same clothes that started to smell every day because, you know, perhaps their parents couldn't afford to do laundry yeah. on a regular basis or kids who were acting on the class. And she later uh, realized some of them were not being provided three nutritious meals a day. And, and when she would share some of these stories, I, at first it was disbelief, but as kind of reality sunk in, it was very humbling. You know, gosh, there are some real problems that exist out into the world, even in somewhere like the Bay Area, the Silicon Valley, where you would think it's, you know, tech companies and and all this wealth, Um, but that it was happening in my backyard just across the highway. Um, So I think those experiences um, kind of piqued my interest in in exploring what what else is out there for somebody like me. Mm. Um, At the same time, at my consulting firm, I was always looking for mentors. Uh, people that were older who were successful in their careers, but also who were leading from a position of faith. And, 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 and that's not to say they were telling everybody to go to church with them every week in the workplace, but, but, but examples where I could just see clearly that there was some deeper motivation for why they were doing what they were doing. Wow. And um, I was searching for that. And, and um, it was difficult for me to find that, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I grew frustrated with that. You know, I had great mentors at the church I was going to in San Jose, but I wanted examples of not a Bible study leader, but I wanted somebody who was a quote unquote successful business person yeah. who I could learn from. And, uh, you know, after years of searching and searching, I, you know, I was praying one day and I felt 
like God putting the urge on my heart. Perhaps, Phil, maybe you won't find that right now, but maybe you can be that person for somebody else who may be in similar shoes. And 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 that um, that was actually a big uh, spark for me to consider. If okay, great. If I were to do that, what what do I what else do I need to round out some of my experience and skill set? So that was a big driver for me to pursue um, graduate school. So I got my MBA. Um, I went to Georgetown. That's what brought me from California to the East Coast in Washington, D.C., where I've been now for nine years um, because I wanted to learn what it meant to understand financial statements. I wanted to learn what marketing looked like, what go-to-market strategies, you know, how to uh, build on my kind of management leadership experience so that I could help be in a position of, of leading others, et cetera. Wow. Um, so I went to Georgetown, um, loved my time there. Um, got to take a lot of classes focused on that. And that's where I actually fell into uh, venture capital. I had no idea what BC was, I had no idea. But my very first year at business school, Georgetown had launched this program called the Venture Fellows Program, where uh, for a full year, not just a summer internship, was, which is the traditional kind of model, graduate school model of you know, during the school year, you take classes and your summer, you get a 10, 10 week internship, but they launched a program for one year, you get to intern with a firm, you get academic credit for that. And so in one year, you get this whole uh, breadth and depth of experience of working at a, at a firm. Um, and so I, I, just being curious, I signed up and I was very fortunate to, to land a, a gig there working at a venture capital firm. Wow. Again, I had no idea what it was, but <laughs> so I realized, oh my goodness, you can work with a whole portfolio of 10 entrepreneurs that are building these world-changing ideas. And sure, as a VC, you know, you're just playing a very small part in that, right? You might be helping with one, I don't know, pricing analysis or competitive market analysis, but just being around these founders, I was so inspired and, and, uh, and I thought to myself, wow, you know, this VC gig is pretty exciting. You know, every day you're meeting with new founders with new ideas. Um, and it's not like you're joining a company where you're just working with one concept or one team. In VC, you work with the whole portfolio. I see. Um, so for somebody like me who is a generalist uh, in technology, you know, working with startups in, you know, financial tech or fintech or education tech, ed tech and healthcare tech. I mean, all these were so interesting uh, that's how I found myself in venture capital. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, it's been, it, it was really neat. Yeah. And, and very fortunate for me. Oh, man, uh, you make it sound so easy, but, <laughs> but um, that's incredible. And thank you for even taking me through the journey of like uh, your music career up until, you know, how things kind of shifted for you. And so how old were you when you decided to go to um, get your MBA? Yeah. So let's, let's see. I was um, 20, Six. Okay. Yeah, 26. Okay. 26. How usually how long is the MBA program again? Two years. Two mm -hmm. years. Okay. Um, so during that time, like, did you feel so I always talk to my husband about this? <clears throat> you know, like through college, I didn't really I don't really retain information from yeah. what I learned. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband's a structural engineer and we mm. we talk about how like, you know, if he could go back to school again. Yeah. Maybe he would have retained what he sure. learned because sure. now he knows, you know, like yeah. what he needs. Did you feel that way? Because didn't you have some experience and you had some yeah. experience in consulting before? Yeah, I definitely felt that way. And I think if you look at most kind of 
uh, MBA or graduate school for uh, programs. I think the average age of folks coming in are is something like 24 to 28 or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So what that means is most programs want some experience of their uh, incoming class before, you know, so most people don't go straight from undergrad to grad school mm-hmm. uh, for business because yeah, that real world experience, relevant experience, it's really helpful. You know, a big part of um, the MBA program is is case studies. So yes, you learn from textbooks and whatnot, but more, more so you're given kind of these, you know, 10 page case studies, a real life example of a business problem at mm-hmm. a specific company. And then you work in teams, maybe four to six people. Uh, you review the case, you come up with, you analyze the problem, you come up with solution, you present it in class and you get peer reviewed. So you, a lot of the learning is by learning from your peers. Mm-hmm. And so if everybody is coming straight from undergrad that who may not have right. kind of professional experience, it, it, you don't have as rich of a discussion. Sure, yeah, yeah. So yeah, most folks that do end up going to business school have some some level of experience. I um, see. Professional field before going back to school. I see, okay. Um, so af- when you fell into VC world, like did you, are, have you been at the same firm since or? No, yeah. So so I've, um, in graduate school, um, I, I interned for two uh, VC firms. My first year, I interned for a firm based in California, but I was in still in Washington, D.C. for that. My second year, I interned through the same program um, at another firm for one year. And then um, when I graduated at 28, um, I was recruited to join full-time at, a, at a, a firm locally in the D.C. area where I was for almost four years. Um, uh, and And in that role, I was doing a lot of what I mentioned earlier of meeting with uh, companies, uh, running due diligence as we were getting to know uh, companies and opportunities deeper. You know, once we invested, I was supporting those company portfolio mm-hmm. companies, meeting with our investors along the way and, and things like that. So I was doing all, all, all the above. Um, after about four years there, I had the opportunity actually to join one of my companies that I invested in as CFO. Oh. So um Oh, that's right. I read this somewhere. (laughs) Yes. So uh, I joined and I I can talk about that too. And I was there for about about four years. Uh, And then I've recently come back to the VC side, which is where I am today at a firm called Sovereigns Capital. Um, We're a faith-driven investment fund. So I could talk about that too, because there's not many that look like us out into the investment world. But anyways, yeah. So I started in venture. I joined one of my companies, uh, startups, in an operator role, and then I ended up coming back to the VC side. Um, yeah. So the op- the when you um, took a break from VC to join one of your companies that you invested, in, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like as a op, it was a financial operator, or yeah. So I was the chief financial officer okay. and the chief HR officer at the company. Um, I joined when we were about fifty employees. Uh, and by the time I left, we were at about 350s. Uh, so we went through a period of rapid growth. You know, this company was in the mental health. I'm sorry. What was the number again? You started at how many and then went to what? We were, when I when I first joined full time as uh-huh. CFO, we were about 50. And then by the time I left, we were about 350. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really one of those God moments because... Um, I joined in 2019 and what our company did was we, we built a tech platform that enabled uh, virtual and in-person mental health care. 
2019. Yeah, in 2019. And so when COVID hit in 2020, we were those com- one of those companies that, you know, right place at the right time to help tell like, I'm like, did, are people. you a prophet? Like, how did you? Like, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't, that I, is, yeah. I'm shocked. Like, I mean, no, I just feel like, wow, like that's, that is God's favor. I mean, I'm sorry to be so forward. Yeah. Yeah. But that's amazing, Phil. Like, so, so you just, they hired you because they loved you and they just wanted your gifting. And then it just happened to be that year. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, when I look back, well, everything that I've looked back at, I just, yes, I worked hard, but ultimately God opened doors for me. And, and I, you know, it's, it's also the case for this company. So, uh, the company that I, I, I was an investor in this company. I've uh-huh. known the management team for many, many years. And then I led an investment in the company. So, you know, the track, the relationship goes back many, many years with mm-hmm. this team. Um, and the company was a startup. It was very small when I first met them, but they were growing steadily. And they reached a certain size at about 50 employees where they said, you know, it's time. We, we see all the momentum, all of our customer momentum. And we need to hire our very first full-time finance hire. You know, there was nobody in the finance role before. And so, um, you know, I was catching up with the CEO over coffee, you know, in the summer, just catching up on, on things. And uh, and he mentioned that, hey, we're going to actually be hiring for our very first full-time finance hire. And I said, at the time, I was still an investor in the business. So I said, great, let me know when you have the job posting. I can blast it out to my network. I'm sure I can bring in some good referrals for you. And, and the CEO, and again, it's because it's been based on trust over uh, our sure, last time. yeah. The CEO said, you know, I'd really like for you to join as the CFO of the company. And I said, yeah, I don't know if that's a great idea. Because yeah. <laughs> I, you know, yes, I went to business school, but I'm not a, an accountant. Mm. You know, I don't have my CPA. You know, I haven't been a CFO before. And, and mm-hmm. you know, this is an executive level role. This is not just like a junior role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I said, I, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. At the time I was uh, 31. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the company, people at the company were, were much older. Um, uh, so, but he said, you know, no, no, no. You, you, you know, think about it. You know, I'm, you, you can hire like an accountant for that. Like what I really am looking for is a strategic thought partner, an executive to help run, lead the company with me through this next stage of growth. Yeah. Even before COVID, there was a lot of momentum that was happening in the digital health. Sure. Yeah. 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 For sure. So, you know, with that opportunity, I was, you know, talking with my wife um, and, you know, my wife ended, she started off in education. She ended up, um, when I went to grad school, she also went to grad school. She got her master's in social work. And she started um, working at a charter school as a social worker. And, um, and so every day, you know, it, this, you, you can probably sense this theme continuing of my wife telling stories of her day job. Right. <laughs> I was working in VC and she was working at a charter school in a bad, in a rougher part of town in Anacostia in Washington, DC. Mm. And she would just tell me stories of some of her students who were just dealing with verbal and sometimes physical abuse at home. Mm. I would come home from school some days and we would have, you know, a couple kids in our living room and say, Oh, who are you? And she said, is it okay? If, um, you know, they stay with us tonight because they're dealing with a pretty rough situation at home. It's probably not safe for them to go back to me. And I'll say, of course. Um, and, and another big, and we've been in Washington DC for nine years now. Mm-hmm. 
both of our families are from California. Mine's in the Bay Area. My wife's family's from Southern California. A big reason why we've stayed here in D.C. is, um, you know, through our church here, we've also been, we, we've just felt a calling to, to love on our community through serving kind of the foster and adoptive um, children in our community. So my wife being a social worker, you know, I, I'm like a finance person at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I know? Um, but we started volunteering through our church at a nonprofit that supports foster youth. Awesome. Um, just like cooking meals, providing rides, babysitting on the weekends. And, and over time, the Lord grew that conviction in our hearts to say, hey, you don't have kids of your own yet. You have an extra, you know, spare bedroom in your apartment, you know, dual income. Why don't you guys try fostering yourselves? And uh-huh. so with that growing conviction, we've become, uh, we became licensed foster parents. And oh my we've actually had six foster kids come through our house over the last seven years. That's amazing. Um, and we actually ended up adopting one of our 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 foster kids. And, you uh, did? Yeah, yeah. We can and we can talk about that too. But when did you do that? That was um. We had a four month old come to come to us in April of 2020 as uh-huh. the pandemic was starting, um, and he was with us for about a year and a half, and things were not stabilizing mm. with uh, biological mom. So after about a year, a year and a half, the the judge turned the case from a foster situation to a more permanent. And therefore they asked us as the foster parents if we would adopt. So it's not something we had the intention of doing, but uh, we just said yes. And we try to be obedient in that. So we have an adopted uh, child from, from the foster system. Um, and, and that's why we feel like a big, that's a big reason why we haven't gone back out to California, mm. back to California is just, you know, living in the city, we live in East Capitol Hill. We see a lot of the needs of the city. Yeah. Uh, you know, in our in our walk to the grocery store, we see it, and that's probably something. I don't know. If I had stayed in the Bay Area, maybe I wouldn't have seen as 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 much day to day. Um. So that's that that's part of it. But anyways, back to your original question. Sorry. Of, yeah. I'm so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, why did I? You know, seeing a lot of these stories of my wife's uh, kids at our school you know, mental health was kind of, uh, uh, behavioral health was was near and dear to my heart. So when this founder, CEO, invited me to join as the first full-time finance hire in a position I'm completely underqualified for, again, never being an accountant or a CPA at 31 at the time, being a CFO of a company, I mean, but the mission of the company was so um, admir- uh, admirational, was, was, it was so near and dear mm. to me of using technology to help people on their behavioral health, their mental health journeys. I said, you know, I said to myself, gosh, if I ever were to join a company, this is the exact type of company I would join, mm. uh, you know, to, to like leave venture capital to do. Um, so I did that. And then of course COVID happened. And so, you know, we went through a period of explosive growth as an organization, which um, was, uh, delightful and terrifying at the same time. Right, right, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, especially during COVID. Um, and today the company's, you know, it's not a startup anymore, right? It's nearly 400 people. It's a big, massive company. And, um, you know, I just felt like it was time. Mm. You, you, you know, as as somebody who has spent most of my career now in early stage, like startup world, mm-hmm. this company was like a big company. So I figured... Maybe it was the right time to transition my CFO role to somebody who has that kind of expertise and to help usher it to the next stage of growth. 
Um, and I, you know, go back to my startup, you know, venture capital roots. And so um, I joined Sovereign's Capital about a year ago, and now I help, I help lead their early stage venture capital fund with some of my partners here. Well, that's incredible. The whole thing. I mean, just congratulations on every front, because I think, you know, your obedience of like, um, yeah, just, I mean, like you mentioned, I'm sure it was like so, so, so new, so foreign, but you were just saying yes to it again. Um, and with that, there was uh, so much growth in your, I'm sure in your own personal, um, like, you know, what you need to know as a businessman, but also just, I don't know, I'm just in awe, really, because the timing of it all just seems so perfect. <laughs> You know, and to be able to like be in the thick of it of a of a growing business and to witness all of that and then see the fruits of all of the investment, personal and financial that you guys need. Um, man, congratulations, truly, Phil. I don't yeah. I, I know you're a humble guy, but I just feel like it's worth talking about. And man, um, so how old is your little guy now? <laughs> Yeah, so he's three. Yeah, he's uh, three. How is it? Is he three nature yet? <laughs> yeah, totally a three nature. Uh, he's in preschool, and uh, you know he's he's putting you know it, you know it's it's great because he can string together thoughts, rational thoughts now, and so now yeah. he'll argue with us. Uh, how old are your kids, Blair? Uh, six and four. Right. So so you you know this. Yeah, right? I'm uh, out of. The, I'm but you know I remember the thick of it, and I'm. It, it gets it gets better, but then the struggles are different. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 So you know, we just we just overcame this you know potty potty uh, training stage, which is great because now he's potty trained. But great. Yes. Yeah, but just like you know, going back and forth now of his wants and desires, and you can verbalize that now. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 tiring, but it's it's also um, it's is. Yeah, it's this the sense of uh, like fatherhood and protecting, you know, a little one. And it's different. It, you know, we were his foster parents for a year and a half before we were his sure. legal, you know, right. adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. The day to day of living arrangements, none of that changed, of course, right? He was mm -hmm. he was still with us, but when it became official, official, there was something that clicked. Um, and he's you know he's African American, so he doesn't look like us. My wife's also Korean American. So, you know, if we're out in Annandale, which is a little suburb outside of Washington, D.C., with the small Korean community of restaurants and grocery stores, and, you know, we're holding hands, walking down the, the, yeah. the grocery aisle, we get a lot of curious looks. I'm sure. When you yeah. have uh, this kid, you know, he loves jajangmyeon, which is like black bean noodles for those who aren't Korean. He yeah. loves it. And he loves kimchi. Um, that you know, is people, awesome. <laughs> people look at him like, what's going on there? Like, I'm so uh, puzzled. Um so it's, you know, that has opened up so many conversations, like of what we're doing. Like, oh, are you like their babysitter? Oh no, we're his parents. Um, with strangers and friends, just yeah. of what fostering is, you know, adopting, you know. All oh that. man, so, we're gonna have to do like a part two with you and your wife or something. <laughs> like everyone likes my wife much better. <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be adopted yeah. or foster parents. <laughs> that would be yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. I, I will I will I will plant that seed in her. I think she would might be. Yeah, you, yeah, you should. I I mean I would love it. 
Um, but okay, sorry, a little bit off track, but <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, what was I gonna say? What were we talking about before I got into this? Um, so you're, you're asking, did I skin venture or was there like a oh, yes. path? So that's yes, right. That's I right. That's I wanted to talk about your. That's right. Your current, your current firm. I'm sorry. We are going past our my hour with you. Um, just a few more questions, and I won't take yeah, up no too problem. much more I of mean, your time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but your current for for sovereign. I'm sorry. What was it called? So- sovereign sovereign's capital. capital. Mm-hmm. Okay, sovereign's capital. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that sounds really interesting to me. Like to have a faith based venture capital firm. Um. What does that even mean? Yeah. So, you know, I, um, at this point in my journey, I've worked for a couple of different VC firms and um, I definitely sense kind of almost this power dynamic, right? And I see, I've seen it at this point multiple times now where, uh, and I alluded to this earlier, there are thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs starting their businesses every year, but only a handful of them are actually able to get VC funding. Um, so with that inherently comes this, power dynamic that exists, right? A a VC's time is more valuable than an entrepreneur's time because a VC meets with, I don't know, 20 entrepreneurs a week. So if you're not the right one, then that's okay. There's there's gonna be a next one. And and, um, there's almost this formulaic kind of like cold-blooded essence of being an efficient VC, right? Like you have to say no quickly, can't get your emotions involved because you can't spend time with those that you're not going to invest in. You have to spend time with your quote unquote winners. Um, so what that often looks like is, you know, founders and entrepreneurs being ghosted, right? Like all of a sudden a VC may disappear. You may not hear from them. I oh, see. what happened? I thought things were going well. What happened? Well, it turns out they're just working on another deal that's more interesting than yours. And they're just bothered not to tell you about what they were working on. Or there are some bad actors that I've seen in the industry too, where, you know, a VC doesn't have genuine intent in investing, but they invested in a similar company and they're just trying to extract knowledge from you. Oh, um, heartbreaking. Gosh. So, so there, you know, like any industry, there are, there can be some bad actors, but especially in VC, I think the bar has been set pretty low mm. for what it looks like to be a, I don't know, a redemptive, a value add, just even an empathetic person. And, and, and so, um, you know, I've been friends with uh, folks at Sovereign's Capital for a long time. Um, and as they were raising their next fund to invest in the early stage kind of uh, technology space, um, they kind of open-handedly asked if I would consider um, partnering with them. They liked my prior investor and you know startup operating experience. Mm-hmm. And um, and what's different about Sovereigns is, in many ways, they are like other firms. They invest tech millions of dollars in early stage tech companies and whatnot. But what's very different about them is they invest in faith-driven entrepreneurs. So in addition to tech plays and tech roadmaps, mm-hmm. you know, over the next, what are you building over the next 18 months? Yes, that's important. But they just as importantly look at culture roadmap. What are the mission, vision, values of an organization? What is the deeper motivation for why you are starting a company? What does success look like for you as a founder, entrepreneur, outside of, you know, financial success? Yes, that's important. But what does it look like to take care of your employees and your board members and your clients and your vendors? Mm. Uh, and the thesis driving that is, you know, our, our God is a God of, he was a creator. He created the universe. He breathed life and he told and he commanded Adam and his people to have dominion over the earth. 
And so in some sense, all of us as being made in the image of God, we have the sense of uh, this creative spirit. And especially for entrepreneurs, what does it look like for you to build a tech company? And it's very easy, of course, to pick on the, pick on the big you know, outliers like, and again, an Amazon or Netflix or a Facebook, but these are disruptive tech companies that have permeated our everyday life, mm. right? And so that's the opportunity that tech companies have. Mm. And so what would it look like if you were investing behind leadership teams and founding teams that were not building, you know, quote unquote, Christian businesses, but mm -hmm. building businesses for the world, but doing so from a place of deep conviction of how you can love your neighbor or how you grow and steward a business. That's what we're looking for. And that's very hard to find, you know, in this day and age, of course. But that's our that's our that's what we feel is our calling at Sovereign's Capital to love God and love neighbor through how we invest capital because capital has influence. And when I met some of the founders in the Sovereign's Capital portfolio, it, it, it was very clear to me. I said, wow, there's a difference here. And uh, I just feel uh, privileged to be invited to help, you know, this type of venture capital firm that exists um, out there. I don't, I mean, people can't see my face right now, but like, I mean, I, that sounds amazing. Like, I'm like, that's, I'm, I'm all about that. You know, like I want to be part of that. What is, what are these founders, you know? And, um, I guess in my kind of short sightedness and maybe some skepticism too, I'm like, so these types of businesses that you're talking about, like, that will shake the world one day or is right now, like there are these types of leaders that exist currently is what you're telling me. They exist. They're, they're harder to kind of um, identify for sure. Right. So our job is, is, is harder, you know, than other kind of purely secular VC firms. Right. Because we have to oftentimes uncover that deep motivation and conviction. Right. And, 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 and we're, we're, you know, we, we want to be inclusive too, right? So, you know, it, it's sure. in relationship that you find this out. You know, it's right, not like right. you hop on a, a Zoom call right. with the founder <laughs> and say, oh, did you go to church this past Sunday? <laughs> what is your favorite Bible verse? Right? Like, that would actually be, I think, a horrible witness to the right. guy if you conducted yourself that way. So it does take us longer than most other firms to really get to know teams and therefore get to... Right you know, finding these companies, but they exist out there. And, um, and a, a beautiful part of what we do too is, is, you know, we have set about 75 companies that we've already invested in today, uh -huh. all, all led by believers. And so we have these, um, uh, these groups that we, that we um, create within. So inside these, these um, groups of believing founders already, that find community and we don't, we don't facilitate these. We just set it up and let them facilitate it, but they find so much encouragement. Like, Oh my gosh, you're another tech founder in That's my amazing. city <laughs> who has intentionality behind what they're building. Like it, it's yeah. That we feel like catalyzing community is part of our mission just as much as, you know, investing and providing a return to our investors. I see. That's incredible. I'm like, that's, I feel so encouraged you know, that like I live in that type of world that this is still happening and is happening. Um, I need to pray for you. More. <laughs> yes, please do. Thank, please do. Yeah, please do. You know, especially in places like 
and and you and you've Blair, you you've lived in California, so you know I'm sure you've been to Silicon Valley before too, where there's this culture of just success and pulling, you know, you know, the the hustle grind and how yeah. hard you work, and and especially in the Silicon Valley, it's and to stand up and say raise your hand and say I'm a Christian, that's almost looked down upon. It's frowned mm-hmm. upon. Like how could you believe in such a you know sure. ideology, right? Because there's so many smart people and intellectually. Uh, smart people there and so in some parts of the country it is hard to to stand up for your faith um, in that context right to come out and say you know I you know I, I'm a bible believing Christ following a leader and mm. the business that I'm building I'm not building a Christian a quote-unquote Christian business but this is my motivation for how I lead and how I serve and it's hard it's hard to do that um, in yeah. certain especially in certain parts right um so so it's it's a big prayer request for for to be prayer for these entrepreneurs that are trying to pursue excellence, but also to be winsome about their faith in a way that, uh, you know, their company and how they treat people that that is a witness in and of itself and opens up conversations to talk about. Wait a minute, your competitor is, you know, squeezing every single dollar out of employees by cutting wages. And they're treat, treating competitors, you know, they're 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 um, degrading them and, and publicly bashing them in the marketplace. But you're not doing that. Why is that? When all of your competitors seem to be doing, and there, there are ways to to be a witness on the business world. Um, it's less common, but I think it's it's needed and it's redemptive. Mm-hmm. And even with the technology companies that we back, we think technology can be used for good in a redemptive way. Uh, so what does that look like in healthcare and fintech and yeah, and, and I'm sure you've had I know you've had I've seen um, some of the prior guests that you've had entrepreneurs that are building just really redemptive technology companies, and startups on here. So those are the types of folks that we look to partner with, and that's you know our small part that we play in the ecosystem. Not small in my book, but I hear you. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Phil, thank you so much. I've taken up way too much of your time. Um, I always ask my guests one last question before we end our time together. And that's if um, for someone that's listening, that's like, hey, maybe this is something I want to explore. Um, do you have any advice for them or just any life advice at all? Yeah. Yeah. When I look back, um, I'm in my mid 30s. So, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not done yet for sure. But when I look back at my journey thus far, you know, two themes that I sense is, is one, obviously God has had his fingerprints all over my, my life and my journey and my personal kind of testimony. And we can talk about that another time, or I'm happy to talk to anybody about that. That's, that's a separate journey, but I, I see in hindsight, not always during live in real time, but I see how he brought people into my life, mentors or folks that looked out for me or open doors and I see that, I sense that. And um, in hindsight, when I take a retrospective look back, I see it. And then two, I've always tried to optimize for, like in my career, like optimize for learning, not always just for title or for compensation. Of course, those are important. And it, yes, very important, but just trying to like learn as much as I can, like put myself in uncomfortable positions where maybe I was underqualified, but I knew I was gonna be around smart people or people I wanted to learn from, or to stretch myself. Um, when I've optimized for learning, 
especially in my 20s and early 30s, like that has opened doors and paid dividends for me now that I'm in my mid 30s, mm. right? And, and like in your, when you're in your 20s, you should not try and optimize for your, your annual salary. I know that's harder to hear if you're in your 20s because <laughs> oh, of course, easy for you to say, Phil, I totally get it. I totally get it. And if you can optimize for learning, like maybe it is joining an early stage startup where you're going to wear three different hats instead of one hat as an analyst at a much larger, uh, you know, employer, but just optimizing for that and just being intellectually curious and being in uncomfortable settings. Um, you know, I took a CFO role when I had no business being a CFO. Uh, I tried something new in venture capital when I had no idea what it was initially. Um, in my role at VCs, I, I always said yes to every entrepreneur that needed, needed, that wanted to meet with me, even though I knew nothing about cybersecurity or like healthcare, but I just tried to like read up a bunch of newsletters and like emails, um, reports on certain industries before I met with an entrepreneur so that I could at least fake it a little bit, <laughs> you know, like in doing so, you just learn to like flex and, and build muscles in these other areas of your life. And now as a VC, where I'm meeting with all types of business leaders, it, it, all of that has just paid dividends. So um, to folks, I would say optimize for learning, um, be intellectually curious, and then, you know, see how God is, is, is opening doors and sending people your way and, and also closing doors shut too. You may not realize it in time, but, but you'll see it, whether it's, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, in, in some cases, we'll never know what we can ask. God, when we, to the, when we get to the gates of heaven, but why did you do that? But, but in faith, we trust that, that there's um, higher purpose. And I, I, again, I'll only speak from my experience, but from my experience, I see that to be so true and evident. So i um, happy to chat with anybody about any of this. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yes. Thank you for even offering that. That was my next question to put you on the spot. Like if anyone wants to talk to Phil, can they, can they, is it okay if I give them your email address or something? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Please. Uh, well, man, this conversation. Oh, can I, on that note, can I make one more plug? It, it, I'm happy to chat with anybody. And if if you know somebody who's building a business, like a startup, for instance. Yes. <laughs> like I would especially be willing to chat with them too, just because it's really hard and lonely and tough, mm. especially early on. So somebody comes to mind, hey, I know, you know, a friend or somebody at church or my coworker who's working on this tech idea. Um even if they're not raising capital yet, I mean, just to you know, talk to somebody and get another perspective on the investor side, I'd welcome that too. So, wow, thank you for even saying that. What a what an offer! And I think um, I I appreciate you acknowledging the fact that it is a lonely place, and for you to offer your mentorship is um, incredible. So, thank you, Phil, uh, for your time tonight for just enlightening me uh, with so much information that I I'm coming away with so much tonight so i really appreciate it um guys if you have any questions about this episode or you'd like to connect with phil please feel free to reach out you can dm me on social media or you can email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com and i'd be happy to get you guys connected thanks again phil for your time until next time guys bye thanks Clara. thanks everybody